This actress was nominated in 2012 for her film where she played a character named Hush Puppy, and she became the youngest ever female actress to be nominated. Good? Kovantane? Yeah! Kovantane Wallace. Now that's real black excellence. Amen. Hello. Hey. Hi. What's up? We're back. This is Shayna. <laughs> and I'm JJ. And this is, I feel like we didn't actually say your business last time. We but, did, but it came a little late. Oh, but y'all know. It was a delayed announcement. Yeah. Y'all episode. know what this is. <laughs> um. All right. I, we have a lot to talk about. So I feel like your business needs to begin. Yeah. Let's start it. All right. So, go ahead. Um, first up. WordPress, or the company that owns WordPress, which is called Automatic, bought Tumblr um, this week for $3 million from Verizon. Guess how much uh, Tumblr was worth when Yahoo bought it? How much? $1.1 billion. Why'd they get it for (laughs) such the low low? That's like thrifting. You know, that's my thing. (laughs) Not Tumblr. Thrift. Yeah, did they thrift Tumblr? Well, uh, a lot of people feel that Tumblr lost a lot of its value when, when they took the porn they out. Took the porn out. Yeah, Tumblr after dark was lit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say exactly what I used Tumblr for. <laughs> <laughs> Tumblr was like my pre Pinterest. Yeah. How did, you, how did you use it? I like put. I like repinned a lot or mm-hmm. reposted. reposted yeah uh-huh. like similar to a pinterest where you like pin other people's pictures yeah. and so like my tumblr was like a scroll of like what i was into but then uh-huh. i was a blogger at the time so then i also had a lot of my original stuff on interesting. there interesting okay and porn uh-huh. <laughs> 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 well, well um so uh Matt Mullenweg, who uh is a very nice guy actually, I've interviewed him before, um, who's the founder Light of Flex. Automatic. <laughs> um, he did an interview with The Verge recently and he said, uh, I would love for Tumblr to become a social alternative. Um, that's in line with Automatic's values around privacy and freedom of speech and publishing, but it has the fun and friendliness of some of the other networks we use, but without that democracy destroying dot, dot, dot. Oh, oh I don't know what you want to call it, <laughs> which is obviously shade to like Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was, he was hitting on a really interesting point there because, you know, while Twitter and Facebook, you know, thrived and got all these users, um, thanks in part to uh, racist and Rus- Russian trolls. <laughs> Tumblr. Thanks, guys. Right. Tumblr kind of became known as a safe haven for like all these um, like really tight Othered. And, and highly engaged cultures. Yeah. yeah like, you know, so obviously like black folks and uh, black creatives, but also the LGBT community and people with like different kinks and like and, and disabilities and, um, and, you know, even you mentioned to me, uh, <laughs> last week that you wanted to start a tumblr for what oh <laughs> i want to start a tumblr called white girls saying awful things uh-huh yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but like because like, i hear that a lot yeah but it, you know it, it became like a place for you know people who you know had unique ideas or, or interests um to kind of congregate together so i don't know it made me curious about what what could be their social alternative? Like, what what could Tumblr become now that it's owned by WordPress? Well, I think we're going old school and now doing, like, a lot more using online to fuel meetups mm. and forums and panels, right? Like, I think we're, like, we're kind of, like, going backwards in a sense, I guess, and doing, like, real life now. Because I feel like there's so many influencers that I follow that will, like, be like, hey, I'm in New York. Let's all meet in Prospect Park, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just, like trying to bring stuff off of offline. So maybe that's the new yeah. Tumblr. There, there are, there are some um, social media um, sites that are, are promoting fund, that. Yeah. yeah. Funding for doing just that. Yeah. So speaking of acquisitions, mm-hmm. so Farfetch, which have you heard of Farfetch? Yep. Okay. I feel like when I talked about this with someone earlier this week, who was like a fashion person, they had never heard of it. Mm. Um, so Farfetch is basically like 
fast fashion, but for streetwear. Mm-hmm. And so this week they acquired um, the parent company of Off White, so New Guards Group, uh, for six hundred and seventy-five million dollars. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and I feel like it's interesting because we're. You know, you and I talk about what Spotify is doing for podcasting, what Netflix has done for movies. It's just like where even when we think we're doing like private label or we're going to the independent person, they're actually owned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I give no cares about Off-White and Virgil Abloh's like identity crisis ass. But (laughs) I feel like it is it's interesting to me when these. Companies that started out as startups and small things themselves grow so large and gobble up everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And so they really are doing this to be able to drive in-house driven content. Mm-hmm. And it's like doing what LVMH has done for high-end for streetwear. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly enough, and this is what came up to me. So like I've started to dabble in stocks, but oh. in like oh. in the smallest of ways, my friend – my. <laughs> My friend that's helping me with it is like, you have to buy more shares because I'm just like scared and I buy like three shares Uh or something. He's like, at least 10. Because what happened is Farfetch went into debt to do this acquisition, Mm. which happens. Amazon did it. Netflix did it. Uber. It's like they incurred debt to do all this future planning. Mm -hmm. But when investors got wind of that, the the stock cratered 40% to its lowest ever point. After they bought Off-White. So that's when I bought Farfetch stock. Because I just was like, it's going to be really low now. But then, you know, apparently the stock market's crashing. So it's like, are we supposed to be <laughs> are we supposed to be doing this or not? Um, it's not crashing. I mean, God. it plummeted. It, the Dow plummeted 800 points. <laughs> that is so scary. Any little money that there was to be made, I was like, oh. Yeah, they're saying that it might be a... A, a signal for the an upcoming recession, which is crazy, because the last one they announced was literally what the year before we graduated yeah. college. And who fixed that one? Obama. Mm. Let the blacks <laughs> have it. I saw I saw a tweet um, earlier where somebody was saying, pointing out how uh, Republican presidents always start uh, recessions. Hmm. Because <laughs> because. George W. Bush, like, you know, recession ha- the last recession happened under his watch. Obama then, came in, you know, gave the bailout, um, bailed out the automotive industries and put it in uh, along with a whole bunch of other initiatives. And then, like, Trump, just after two years, here we are again. It makes me feel like, you know, we're, America is supposed to be, you know, the land of entrepreneurship, right? And, you know, we talk about the American way um, and all this, but we... We don't regulate uh, the ways in which you know big companies get bigger mm-hmm. and like just come in and like totally just run or over. like put a cap. I feel like there should be a cap on how rich you can be. A, a lot of people feel the same before you have to start like trickling down some. Yeah. Well, what's well, interesting? Talk about like getting richer. We work also went pub, uh, filed an IPO recently, and it's losing like so much money. It like mm. made a billion dollars, but all uh, last uh, the past year, but also it's losing like nine hundred million dollars. <laughs> and and I thought what was interesting was in the uh, in the IPO filing um, uh, before you know the, which you have to file before you go public is that um, they said that. Um, the the CEO Adam Newman, he and his wife had to, uh, I think it was like make us, they they had to donate, they promised to donate a billion dollars to like nonprofits, mm-hmm. um, or they would if they didn't do that, then they could lose their shares in the company, their voting shares in the company. Was I thought was that was kind of an eye opener. Yeah, I've for me. never heard that. So. Um, I don't know. That just reminded me of when you talk about like some of it having to trickle down, right? Yeah, it, and it, that could have been just like some kind of ploy, some kind of internal rich marketing that we don't right. know about. <laughs> There's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that you know, and part of I, I talk about this a lot, you know, on my colleagues, but like part of it is that we have like legislators who, when when it comes to tech, at least. Um, that just don't know how to regulate 
some of these companies and so mm-hmm. that's why you see that's why we have like a Facebook as big as it has and like remember that hearing that we had when Facebook had to own up to some of the stuff uh, in front of Congress and the, the, these old like Repu- uh, no, Democrats too but just didn't even know like what questions to ask. yeah they're like, like uh, can I- how can I get on the internet <laughs> All right, in the world of politics, so Rosario Dawson's boyfriend was in the news. Are they still together? I don't know together? they still together. No, why they broke up? <laughs> A scandal. I don't th- Did I they? wrong about that. Let's see. Corey I haven't Boca. heard about it lately, but Rosario. I figured maybe he finally stopped talking about it and got to politics. That's broke. what I assumed. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is AOL. The headline says, <laughs> Have Rosario Dawson and Cory Booker called to quits? Or is it just because we haven't been here? Page six says, Rosario Dawson skips another (laughs) of boyfriend's Cory Booker's campaign events. (laughs) You know, so. Gosh. Well, anyway, down to the real business. So it was announced this week that Newark, New Jersey, is basically the new Flint. They're passing out bottled water because they tested the lead levels And it was above what it should be. And apparently the tap water has been contaminated for at least three years. But they had passed out these filters to, I think it was like 38,000 people that were affected. And then recently tested this week and found out that the filters weren't working. Mm. And they tested, and Newark is uh, predominantly black, of course, because why would this happen Mm. to anyone but poor black people? Um, and so the reason that Cory Booker came up is because he was the mayor of Newark from 2006 to 2013. During that time, there was like a watershed foundation that was supposed to be putting uh, a multi-million dollar grant into mm-hmm. redoing all of this water system. And they found out that they had spent the millions of dollars improperly and recklessly. And there was no oversight by either the board of trustees or the city, both of which were led by Cory Booker. Wow. So how he responded to it this week was he was in New York and he said, you know, it's this is an this is an example of an environmental injustice. And the federal like it's like federal responsibility to help with this, never mentioning Newark's name. And also never mm. mentioning that he was the mayor of this town when all of this was happening. Of course, because he's on the, the campaign trail. Right but now. we see you, cook, Corey. <laughs> and we know you were out here trying to, like, do a shtick and rescue babies from a burning building and living in the projects in Newark when you didn't have to. But were you drinking the water? Mm. So I'm just like, I'm so leery of him. He just feels like such a clown. And I... Newark is not far from where we live. Yeah. And it, there's no... Because we were just talking about, like, a few minutes ago... About water. In our interview about how highly filtered New York City's water is. Yeah. So, and y'all try to clown me because I don't drink tap water. <laughs> um, but to me, it's, like, not lost on me that we see this in places like Flint, places like Newark, where mm-hmm. the median income is very low. It's predominantly black. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of people who have lived there for generations. And it's like, it makes sense that those are the places where money that's supposed to be funneled into helping would be improperly spent. Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder if if he at all, like, just followed up on because because I, I imagine right that he didn't like directly oversee like the allocation of these dollars right but i wonder if he like followed up at all to see like what were the results of you know this organization like it because i want to like i'm trying to get better about giving that people people should be definitely held accountable especially people in power but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get better about like cancel the campaign is getting hot and heavy, so it's definitely gonna be um, <laughs> um, not great for him if it comes out. If, if more information on this comes right. out, right, and not great for him, and even worse for the children with elevated levels of lead in their exactly. blood. And you know, I always, I also, not, and that's that's obviously the priority uh, of concern here. Black people can't get a break. <laughs> it yeah. just feels like. Any of these, you know, that's why it's like hard for me when I hear about cities like Atlanta that are predominantly black. I love it. But then it also feels like 
then we have a bullseye on, you know, or when I go to countries like Turks and Caicos or Jamaica that are predominantly black and just see like just how poor it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, can we get predominantly black and not all of these other things? Like, is that possible? Cause it doesn't feel like it. Um, so yeah, what else, what happened in politics this week? I thought it would be a, a good time to just, um, to touch on immigration and talk about some of the, the changes that, um, the Trump administration is proposing, um, to the green card process. So a few days ago, um, the administration issued a final rule that allows federal officials to deny green cards to illegal immigrants who have received certain public benefits or who are deemed likely to do so in the future. Um, this is reading from Politico. Um, and you know, there, a lot of people are obviously upset about this and saying that it could basically change the face of um, who we think, or a lot of people think that this could just change the the notion of what America stands for. I mean, we are a nation of immigrants. You know, there was also that Trump official who said in a, in a press conference the other day that he wouldn't mind changing the, the poem on the Statue of Liberty, you know, when it's give us your, you know, your, your hungry, tired, you're tired, tired. You're, you're, you're poor. And then he said, if they can stand for, on their own two feet you know, <gasps> in response to criticism oh, to, my this, Lord. Um, to this uh, new green card rule. Um, Ugh. So that's not, <laughs> that's not all. Um, there was also the New York Times did an interesting story about this woman um, whose name is Cordelia Scaife May, um, who was a, a socialite. Is she uh, white? Yes, yeah, she Cordelia? is. Cordelia? <laughs> well, she's dead now. But that she, sounds like an auntie's name. But she apparently started something called the Colcom Foundation. And this could have been my learned for this episode because I had no idea about this. So the New York Times says, Today, 14 years after Miss May's death, her money remains the lifeblood of the um, the anti-immigrant movement. It's poured, it's poured $180 million into a network of groups that spent decades agitating for the policies that Trump is now pursuing, which includes militarizing the border, capping illegal immigration, prioritizing skills over family ties when it comes to immigration and all this. And I mean, it's just like a winding, um, story and we can put it in the, um, in the, uh, in the show notes about like just how far this woman's money stretches. And it just made me also think about, cause there's also a new book about the Koch brothers, um, and how they just have their hands and like some, so much of the, you know, the economy, um, and, and politics in this country. It made me think about like all these other like shadowy figures, you know, who and she been dead. She been dead, and her money is still working like for the. White but was it in her movement. will that she like wanted this money to go to anti-immigration? Like, how did it work? I'm sure I didn't. I didn't read the the um, like on her deathbed. Was she like no brown people? <laughs> I'm sure. Um, it says so. Like they have like a breakdown of. Um, of its its giving uh, of the Colcom Foundation's uh, giving uh, uh, when it comes to their tax filings, and of the of the um, of all its funds, 180 million went to immigration and population control versus 80 million to environment issues, and and 55 million to other like charitable uh, places or organizations like the Carnegie Institute. <laughs> that has nothing to do... <laughs> that has nothing to do... That's very different than... <laughs> You're too much. But that's not Carnegie Mellon? I mean, I don't know. Does the Carnegie <laughs> Institute fund that? Probably. I mean, it's probably a lot of stuff in Pittsburgh. Everything's yeah. named after him. But the point is... <laughs> This old rich but like woman. I took her, but you were like, oh, and you, <laughs> and you too, and you she got funded it. Your no, education. I funded my own damn education. <laughs> Me and Sally May still paying. 
I um, wish that rich white lady's money would have helped. So, so that's a. Uh, I just thought that story was interesting. That this rich white woman's money is still working from the grave. From the grave against uh, immigrants. I mean, given how this country treats its own that aren't um, exactly the way that they deem is appropriate, it doesn't surprise me that it would be treating outsiders this way. Yeah, it's like we made it, you know, from yeah. on the Mayflower or whatever. But now, and everything you know. before that didn't matter. And everything before that was savage and like, yeah, I'm exhausted by it. Um, speaking of <laughs> exhaustion, exhaustion and just like people not getting it. Um, what is our culture news this week? So um, Jay-Z... Uh, who is the obviously the we know who Jay Z CEO is. of Rock Nation, um, Beyonce's husband, his inter- entertainment company, um, agreed to uh, sign a deal with the NFL to lead its uh, projects in music and entertainment. It says as part, this is according to ESPN, as part of the long term partnership, Rock Nation will advise on the selection of artists for NFL events, including the Super Bowl. As well as play a key role in the production and promotion of new music. We will do anything. (laughs) We will do anything for some white money. He he didn't need to do that. Yeah. No, I don't see any good in this. To me, it stood out because he... He has been doing so many other interesting things as a businessman that, like, that align with kind of the... Um, uh, the progressive views of a lot of his followers and also things that he's rapped about in his own lyrics about like ownership and solidarity and et cetera. Like, um, you know, he invested recently in that cannabis company. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about it on the podcast last season. Um, and, you know, was also as part of that was going to be working toward um, criminal justice reform. And he has investment, like an investment firm that own, like invests in black owned. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't get how this was. I, I mean, I thought that he was, you know, we were all standing in solidarity with with Cap. And I just wondered when I saw this, well, what happened to that? This doesn't surprise me. And like Will and Jada leaking up with Facebook didn't surprise me. I just feel like they get to a point where they know that like the the money and their influence can talk louder than anything yeah. else and so they lead with that. I will say that there's another part to the partnership. Um it says uh, among the most important benefits to the NFL is that Rock Nation could enhance the Inspire Change platform, which is I guess about the um created by the league. Um, which is run by the league and its players, which focuses on education, economic advancement, and improving police community relations. Weren't they just <laughs> two seconds ago kicking teams off the field for not kneeling? Yep. Get out of here. That's yep. what I'm just like. Anything, and you know, I know that the NFL has been out here trying to seek black talent mm-hmm. behind the scenes and like trying to get like a cultural input and it's like oh okay that's I mean, really Daisy convenient that you want this Daisy now he also literally said and um was that ape shit when he said you uh, fuck the nfl right you, i don't need you you need me. you're a clown yeah. <laughs> you're a clown i'm just like at this point yeah and, you know, I feel like this is a perfect segue for us to get to Davon because he also talks about, like, us, we, like, will give it all up for a white organization to recognize us. Mm-hmm. When, JC, you already have all of your own things. You could have done all of this on a huge level because you're right. The NFL needed you. You could have done this through title, Rock Nation, your fucking wife, who is, like, the creator of all influence. Like, you did not need the NFL to cause a change, yeah. but you were so willing. Like, it's like when a white company asks us, we all of a sudden think now it's legitimate and we want to be a part of it. I, want, I just wonder, like, what... Because he did do a, um, a, another um, a press event around this with, I think, with um, the NFL CEO, uh, Roger Goodell. Um, and uh, The Root did a piece on this. And 
they they asked him a question about like you know what about the players kneeling or something like that and he said something like I I think we're past kneeling I think it's time for action and this is the action did you see that that he that his people also said that they spoke with Kaepernick before a deal and then like Cap's fiance posted on Twitter this is a lie. Ah. <laughs> I like her. <laughs> Nessa. Yeah. She like, she came back with the quickness. Right. She was like, no, this is a lie. Yeah, you did it. And this is gross. Yeah. Stop doing this. Um, anyway. All right. Well, I do feel like that's a perfect segue for our guest today who I loved. Um, so today we have Davon Christopher Johnson, who's the founder and CEO of Blue Life Media Group. So that's Blue Magazine, its sister digital platform, Bombshell by Blue, Blue TV. They have podcasts. They represent influencers. They're really just doing a lot. So come on back. He gave us so much. So come back. All right. So today we have Davon Christopher Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of Blue Life Media Group, which includes Blue Magazine, its sister digital platform, BombshellByBlue.com, Blue TV, like list goes on. When <laughs> do you on. sleep? I don't sleep. Right. I mean, obviously, because <laughs> there's, there's a lot on this list. Y'all, he literally left work in where Tribeca? No, came, financial district. Financial district yeah. came all the way up to Harlem to record this podcast, and is going back downtown yeah. afterwards. So, welcome and thank you. Yes, thank Ooh. you. <laughs> all right, well, let's get started. I know you are a busy man. Yeah. So, our first question is to just tell us about Blue Life Media. Why did you start it, and why was it important to you, uh, and, and what the focus is of the company? Yeah, so uh answer this question differently every time, but it's always the truth. So you might hear the answer differently, but they're okay. all true, right? <laughs> Everything's true, I say. Um, <laughs> everything. I, everything. Assuring. <laughs> Very factual here. Um, but basically, I used to work in the music industry. Um, worked at a couple of record labels, and I was part of the marketing department. And we were part of the machine that puts out an image, primarily a black man and, and hip-hop, um, that didn't always reflect who they truly were. They didn't reflect who I was, um, but it sold records. And I guess my conscience told me, you know, rather than complaining about it, how do you come up with a solution? And for mm. me, it was, well, I'm going to change the perception of black men in media, um, specifically through print magazines. Um, and that's what made it start. So I started in my apartment in Harlem. Wow. Um, around the corner from here on 117th Street. This is where dreams are made. Harlem is where dreams are made. You can make it here, you make it anywhere. Right. Um, and some friends, you know, a couple of, you know, bottles of vodka. And there we had a concept. You know, we took some magazines that we liked, pulled images out, created a reference. And I tell people it was a perfect combination of arrogance and ignorance. Mm. Um, I was so arrogant that I can do this thing and ignorant to how hard it was to, to do it. Mm. Um, I think the me now probably wouldn't have done this because it's been very hard, uh, very challenging. I won't say hard, very challenging. Um, but again, you know, doing the good work isn't always easy and changing the perception of black men in media since we've been, you know, objectified and visualized in such yeah. negative ways for centuries. Um, it's going to be an uphill, you know, climb no matter what. For sure. Yeah. And I, I love like when I, whenever I go to Blue's um, homepage, you see people that you know and respect but don't get a lot of coverage right mm -hmm. so like yeah like fine ass diggy simmons <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah like that's kind of thing like so like what happened to like why can't the boy next door be black and i read in um an interview that you did with black enterprise talking about i want to get into the black stuff early that's, okay let's do that's it my thing um <laughs> talking about really how we how we celebrate these white platforms for digitally black facing us yeah which is i talk about digital blackface all the time and how it's like kind of unfortunate that we wait until we get until missy gets a vma to be like finally when yeah. it's like we've been giving missy her roses for forever forever right forever and so yeah i'd love to hear you talk about that and kind of how blue gets in the face of doing yeah i mean honestly i call it out as much as i can um i'm i'm, I'm a small voice but we're mighty and the truth is like i'll go to a newsstand and i'll see like all these black faces on on magazines that traditionally haven't put black faces on on covers, but yet their staff is not diverse. Their staff mm -hmm. is not reflective of the cover the image they're trying to put out. Right. And or we, even the rest of the magazine. Or even the rest of the magazine, right. they put a black face on the cover yeah. because black people um, in this country over-index in spending, uh, buying, and consuming media, print media. Mm -hmm. So we we consume like eight or ten magazines a month. Um, Non-black people consume like six or seven a month. So wow. we are still the 
identifiable um, consumer when it comes to print publications. Although mm. the message out there is that magazines are dying and no one reads. Mm-hmm. Black people read. Right. We read all the time. Right. Um, we just started seeing ourselves in print like 50 years ago with Ebony. So it's not like we have centuries of seeing great images of black people. So when we do see it, so we're, we do like, see it yes. we're all right. into it. Yeah. So they, they know, know that. They know that. Yep. So they feed us the lie that no one buys magazines. So therefore, we don't support black-owned media. You better come and in here and preach that. Yes! <laughs> Yes. But then they put black faces on non-black-owned media, right. and then we spend our money on that. Right. And that's because an we, issue. Because we think that's the representation we we've been representation, waiting for. What we're waiting for. And the truth is, it's always been about us. We need to reflect ourselves and support mm. ourselves. And before you know, non-black-owned media put black people on the cover, we had so many black-owned media companies because we only can find mm. ourselves within ourselves. And we spent our money on ourselves, and that helps support and prop up black-owned media. And wow. somehow the trick was, oh, we'll just say, you know, black people don't read right. and we'll put black people on white on magazines. Wow. So what what do you think should be the cause you you just talked about this in an op ed for Ad Week. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think should be the solution? Yeah, to, and shout to out that? for Ad Week for letting me write that. Like <laughs> not editing. Yeah, you kinda you kinda <laughs> went in. <laughs> I kinda went in and they let all my words go. Um the truth is like so we are not in positions to control the dollars behind ad spend. Right. So we often celebrate and I see all these awards for people of color, specifically black people that get to work at media companies or work at ad agencies. And they're part of creative. We've always been creative, but they don't give us the key to the bank. They don't give us, you know, the access to spend money in black owned media. So then what happens is all the money goes to say, and my competitors are probably GQ and Esquire. They'll get the ad with the black person in the Gucci ad. But the black magazine won't get the ad with the black mm. person in the Gucci ad, yeah. um, mm. which is which is an issue, right? Um, so we're good enough to like sell a product, so we can sell the image of black cool. Yeah. But black people aren't cool enough to benefit from the spend mm. in, in publications. Yeah. Wow. Which is like the literal definition of blackface, right? Absolutely. And like minstrel shows. It's yeah. Like, so, so we are we're enough to be the front, but we don't get to profit yeah. off of it at and, all. At least back then, it was like white people putting like black makeup on to be blackface. Mm. They're just using black just people using now. A black face now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to be black <laughs> It's cheaper that way. It's way cheaper. Yeah, like, white people are expensive. Yeah, you can you can save them the makeup. Right. <laughs> I can't take that. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be this good. This made in heaven, you Yes. <laughs> um, at Def Jam, um, I decided, you know, in that, you know, night of drinking in my apartment, <laughs> that the next thing would be to start a magazine. Now, prior to the economic downturn, Magazines are making a lot of money. Right. Record labels are spending a lot of money. So I'm like, oh, this is easy. Call my old contacts. They'll buy some ads. We'll be good. But then the world went broke, right? Mm. iTunes happened. Record labels losing money. Like things were going crazy. Um, however, I managed um, by some miracle to do a fundraise um, in 2009. I was able to raise an angel investor, um, gave me some money to to grow the brand. And that wow. kept us solid through the economic crisis. You know, what, what did you turn to for investment? Like uh- – I, I did some old school, and I don't know if it'll work now, but like I went on AngelList.com and I like, put my business plan. I out. love wow. AngelList. Yeah, and somebody responded. Someone from Alaska. What? Is, what? It was random. It was like, it's the stars aligned. It's like, wow. Random. That's amazing. Yeah. That's called purpose. Purpose. Yeah. Yes. Step so, into your purpose. So what, so what did you bring? I'm not trying to be the most popular um, publication because people, you know, crash and burn very easily. Like I'm building a hundred year company versus a hundred day company mm-hmm. or one year company. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the race was never about um, who finishes, you know, fastest or grows the fastest. It's like, you know, who lasts the longest. So I guess I'm the tortoise, not the hare. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Right. <laughs> The reason why magazines often fail and are often in debt is because it costs a lot of money to not only print, but also ship copies in a magazine. Mm-hmm. Like, you think when you see these Condé Nast publications that are 800, 900 pages, they make money? They're at a net, like, negative mm. because it's so expensive to yeah. produce. Um, print is like kind of the, the legacy, like, flagship, right? Yeah, it's the, it's yeah. a marketing tool. It's a marketing yeah. tool. So once you know that, we knew that we had to control our budgets. We would only print a certain amount, and any additional growth would be organically online. So we cap our, our printing at 150,000 copies. We distribute through Barnes & Nobles. We also have our own distribution network through Black Barbershops, about 3,000 barbershops oh, on the East Coast. Awesome. So yeah. we, we're like direct to consumer. 
consumer. So our business model was never built on the consumer having to pay for anything. I feel the advertisers should be charged to access our audience. So mm. like it's a simple old school business model is how it used to be before publishing got greedy. Um, and they wanted both ways. They wanted a consumer to spend and an advertiser to spend. Mm. Um, but as far as like, you know, Johnson publication and a bunch of other, I mean, you have, you have uptown, um, you have essence, you had the source, you had vibe. Um, there are a bunch of media, but what happens is, we do this thing where we're black achievement. Um, we we harness exceptionalism, right? So all the like eyes on this one product, right? Mm -hmm. And then if they make one little mistake, it's like you screwed up, and then no one else gets any credibility because that one thing that was propped up as exceptional mm -hmm. has failed. Has failed, and right. it really didn't fail. Right. It did what most companies do is pivot, right. Right? right? But when it comes to like, you know, white entrepreneurs, it's called a pivot. Mm -hmm. When it's someone black, it's called a failure, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that pivot um, in general population doesn't affect the other white men that want to go and start something. Right. Right. But the pivot in the black community or black people affects everyone else. And it's like, oh, oh right. well, so-and-so didn't do it, so no way you can do it. Right. Exactly. So we, we aren't allowed space for um, mistake or learning or growth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and with that too, so like Blue, you know, we focus on black men, but we promote the black male experience and the black male culture, but we don't have a magazine just for black people, right? Because the truth is non-black people love black people. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I know that. So I don't have to try to sell black to black. We already know who we are. Um, but I want to show, show an authentic, organic uh, perception of black people. So – You've been around for well, Blue Blue I'm Magazine. Oh man, <laughs> you've been not around. you. <laughs> you are a dinosaur. Not you. Stop it. Blue Magazine <laughs> has been around for more than a decade. Um, you've kept the print version, obviously, but you've also expanded into podcasting, influencer marketing. So, like, I'm I'm just curious, like, what your outlook is over when it comes to the media landscape as a whole like what what are you like bullish on what do you think is like the next frontier because <laughs> you because you're, you're clearly like kind of testing the waters with a lot of things right yeah yeah i'm, I'm testing the water because that's, that's the thing to do right mm -hmm. trial by error um however i'm still bullish on print right i'm still bullish on this global connectivity to people of color specifically black people um the continent of africa the caribbean the united states and even latin america mm. and us seeing images of ourselves in print right so you can go to a website you can go to a thousand websites in one day um there's no way really where you can bookmark but how many bookmarks you're going to have right yeah. something amazing about seeing like people that look like you in print and ripping that page out totally. and putting it on your wall putting mm -hmm. it in, in your file or folding it put it in your bible like that that still means something to people of color yeah. um and i look at blue and I look at black people globally not just on the east coast or west coast right mm -hmm. so we often think that you know the way things happen in new york the way things happen in la that's the way the rest of the country yeah and i was like now nah, i have cousins and the, the mid-south that that love magazines, right? That may not have Hulu, you know, right. uh, <laughs> Hulu, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, right. all Netflix, the options. HBO Go, like they mm -hmm. might not have all that. For Maybe real. all they have is this free magazine that they get at the barbershop yeah. in their town from yeah. Blue. Um, so for that, I'm bullish on that. And also I'm just bullish on like black owned media in general. There's so little, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually to me a growth market. This opportunity, like if funding comes in, um, properly and ad agencies spend money in black-owned media, they'll definitely see an ROI. Black people are one of the most trustworthy, loyal consumers ever, sure. like, made, right? Um, so why not give us real value and invest in those in those places? That's great. And you, you talked about this notion of, like, global connectivity for mm -hmm. black people. Like, how... How are you getting into those markets and getting blue in front of, like, consumers and, you know, whether it's Latin America, Nigeria? Like yeah, yeah. So, honestly, I've, over the past five years, I've visited 36 countries. Yeah, your Instagram is lit, I was about to say. <laughs> you're always, every time your picture comes up, like, you're somewhere else on a bike, riding through some foreign <laughs> okay, city. Okay, so random city. Like, this is me on a bike, right back out here. Like the old Spice guy. I'm on a bike. I'm on a bike. Um, so, so part of that has just been like really going to people and seeing what um, their needs are. And the truth is, like, I know in America, black men were like an endangered species. Like, we can get shot by like having the Snickers in our hand. You know what I mean? The truth is, like, black American experience 
is like an exportable commodity. Like hmm. people eat it up all over the world. And then once you know that, like I, it took me to step outside of the United States to really see my value as a black American, right? Yeah. Um, and as an American in general, like how valuable that is globally. Mm. Um, and trying to find a way to harness that and creating relationships across the pond, across the oceans, whatever. Um, I remember I taught uh, a workshop in Nairobi, Kenya in October last year. And see these students that were like design students and like, you know, they just want to break into the American market. They want Americans to see what the, des- the designs are. Um, there's great opportunity for people of color, black people specifically. And I like this people of color thing gets me tongue tied all the time. Yes. But, You're my favorite. <laughs> I just had a rant about. Yeah. Like, color. like I'm saying yeah. it because that's just in my head so much. Right. Yeah. But the truth is like, let's get black people right first. That's yeah. America's rich. We yeah. just talked about and this. If we, if we get that right first, then everyone else will fall in line. Yes. Yeah. We don't need to keep saying people of color, people of color. Yes. Like, yeah. Let's address the wrongs ever done to black people. Yes. And Ooh. if you address that one original sin in America, yeah. then everyone else will be. You better here. come in here. <laughs> yes. I just had to read yes. something on Twitter last yes. night. For that. Go, yes. Uh, Go well, people of color didn't want to be people of color before. They wanted to be white. Yeah. And, and they still do. And it's suddenly now, like, the people of color when it comes to getting a job, getting funding. Yeah, when the know, diversity yeah. money is on the table, yeah. yes. But before that, there was just black yes. people and everybody else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And... The, we're still pointing to the fact that the default is whiteness, so we need to say color to note that we're not talking about white people. Yeah. I'm never talking about white it people. It still gives... <laughs> it's funny, no, it's, it's Ever. funny. Word, words matter, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a journalist, right? So word, words do matter. And so you, when you do this thing where, where white is a standard, you're always an other, right? Yeah. So for instance, I don't call myself African-American or African, you know, hyphen American. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well... I do my family history. We've been here for over eight generations, mm-hmm. at least eight generations. I can document. I'm more American than most people are American. So, mm-hmm. like, I want to own my Americanness. I'm black. I'm not trying to like not be black. Um, and I've been to Africa, right? And I've been to several countries in Africa, not just you know Cape Town, right? I've been to <laughs> Johannesburg also, right? Um, Slight read. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? So, like, there's this thing where, like, I. I know that people of color suffer in general across the globe yes. because of, you know, white supremacy and white policies. At the same time, in America, black people have suffered the longest and the most. And we need to address that first. Like, mm-hmm. before we can start fighting for 21st century issues, we got to fight for, like, 17th century totally. issues, Right. And right? anti-blackness is a thing everywhere. Everywhere. And so that is... To I me, mean, that is my it's life threatening place. to be black globally. Yes. Yeah. Even in black majority places. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I just I just wrote a, an article for Fast Company about um Atlanta and how like all these like white owned tech companies are moving to the city. And this woman last night um responded to a tweet my tweet of the story and said, Great article, but if we're truly uh trying to promote diversity then we should uh, make sure that tech communities are full of all ethnicities. Are you worried about that? That's your worry? Get out of here. And, I'm, and my first thought yeah. was similar. Like, this is a, a city that is majority black. Right. City. And, the whole and city. You're, and, you're, and this is a story you're concerned about black people. About black people. Right. And your tweet to me is, great story, but... What about all these other ethnic? And meanwhile, there's only five percent black people in tech. Right. So like clearly so, so, right. that's the about? conversation if we, we even have. If, if we're if we're quote unquote twelve percent of the population, if there's at least twelve percent representation, I can say, okay, that's reflective of what the population right. is. But we're only five percent. In most industries it don't even hit like ten percent. No. You know, like, right. yeah. So we need to address equity before we talk about like in, like inclusion across the board yeah. right or if that is your concern lady on twitter you go out write the article fight for the rest of the people right. my concern is black people and so all these like how well, how about the native americans it's like yeah y'all were awful to them too and if that is your focus please by right. all means right. go out and like raise the but, money but and this do is the my fight. Focus. but this is my right. focus exactly and like yeah collective yeah yeah Another thing that's interesting that you can help us with and a lot of our listeners is um, like adapting to the um, the necessity of of being an influencer today in 2019, yeah. right? So, so I know for me, like I sometimes social media can be a bit overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. 
I feel like at the, you know, in the advent of like Facebook and, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn even, like, I feel like we could manage that and it could become part of our daily routine. Mm-hmm. You check it in, in the morning or you post mm-hmm. whenever you, you know, have a story go up, whatever. But today, in order to build a, a brand, like, you need to be on <laughs> digital. Yeah. All the time, and you have to like curate, you know, right. your and Instagram do it in a very t- a, like intentional way, intentional to that it represents your message that you're engaging with people. But that is a lot for like somebody just starting out. So, how, what kind of advice would you give to you know people like us whose brand is not even a year old yet, and other people listening who are like, I need to be to know how to be an influencer and like own my space if I'm going to start something. I think that's you made, you made a key point is now you have to own your space, right? So like. I still feel influencers aren't about the the amount of followers you have. It's just how engaged you are to followers you do have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a moment as a travel influencer. Um, I was a micro travel influencer, Uh-oh. right? Because <laughs> which I think micro is better. Micro and mini are better than than macro influencers because you know, higher engagement. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's higher engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did a test um, a couple of like two months ago. I, I'm like, I haven't posted in a while and nothing really going on. I was like chilling out for a moment. I'm like, I want to post a photo of me just in the subway station and see what happens. Right. So I posted a photo that said, I thought I was smiling in this photo, but clearly I know I wasn't smiling because I posed for the photo. <laughs> oh my God. The engagement was crazy. Like, I'm like, okay, this is social media. is That's nuts. hilarious. <laughs> I agree. Like I'm completely lying right now. Like, you know that I knew I wasn't smiling because I'm in the photo right. and someone else and took I it. Just posted it. And then also. I just posted yeah. it that I thought I was smiling in the photo. <laughs> this is an explanation of living in 2019. Like yeah. it's annoying, but then I, but I had to do it. Right. right. I had to like give them something. Right. <laughs> um, that's a, that right there is the quote. Mm-hmm. I have to give, give them something. something. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's, what I'm that's important, to, right? Yeah. yeah, but you have to like be authentic too. So like I just found that funny. So whatever. In the next photo I, I did, I was actually smiling. Like whatever. Because um, I, play, I play with it. Again, I'm not trying – like I said before, I'm not chasing the largest number. I'm just chasing what's most authentic for me, my personal brand, and for my, for my business brand. Um, and I also had to separate me from, from Blue. Um, so defining my own brand um, – What's interesting because I'm very outspoken, but I know that some things I say may affect the company, mm-hmm. so I have to edit that also, right? Um, like a lot, I'm a lot more free on this podcast right now than I would be on a post on Instagram, yeah. except when I'm attacking Don Lemon. Besides that, <gasps> uh, yeah. Besides that, I, uh, fire. Even still, he's gotten a lot better, hasn't he? But getting better isn't enough. It isn't enough. I think yeah. you and I are similar in that, like you, like you definitely call yourself a journalist, but yeah. you also are clear about what you're passionate about. Correct. Like I, like I, I make am, it clear, this is my opinion, exactly. Versus but, this is fact, right? And you have your stances on what you go hard on. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not playing both sides. About, and, and my like, journalism is more like I'm more yeah. like travel journalist because like. That's my that's my space, right? Yeah. I'm not a political journalist because I get personal and I give an opinion, right? So mm-hmm. I, I I can't stay neutral in that yeah, space. Yeah. So I make sure when I when I'm talking about like travel, I'll give you an amazing detailed story, <laughs> of where to go, the best angle for light, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes, best but, angle. But when it comes to like cultural issues, I'm straight up giving you Davon Christopher Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I love a three name. Yes, my new thing. Yes. Um. <laughs> I love it. So two more questions for me on um, on digital um, engagement and being a uh, an efficient and um, uh, I guess well regarded influencer <laughs> whatever that whatever that moment that wordplay. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so you know, you you hit on this earlier. I actually had this as a question. Um, uh, follower count is you know like only a portion of it, only right? A portion. So, what other metrics should we be like tracking uh, and trying to build on when it comes to like Instagram or Snapchat or whatever whatever platform we're on? Yeah. So here's the thing: you have to okay, so put them all out there, right? Yeah. And then see which ones work for you, right? Cause for Blue, we tra- we had like Pinterest, Tumblr. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Vine, like we, <laughs> all of them. We had all of them. Right. Vine is dead. Come on. Right. <laughs> and we're like, wait, this is this is not working for. Her. Like, I don't yeah. know how to do. I don't know how to use half the shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, like, what worked for us? I'm and all. So, Facebook 
works for us for like more long form stuff. Yeah. Um, we have a newsletter that goes out to um, an email list that goes back to our website. And that's like most of our traffic comes from there. And then Instagram has a lot of engagement for stories mm-hmm. versus posts, right? So yeah. we'll do posts because like you got to have active posts, but we'll do a lot more Instagram when it comes to stories. So yeah. like I think measure what works for you and pick like three. You can even pick two, but pick the three that work the best for you and then put them in like put them in order, like what's more important um, and engage that way. Yeah. And once you master that one, then move to the next one, because trying to do it all, unless you have a huge staff of, you right. know, yeah. 200 people and departments to handle each social media network, right. it's just going to be overwhelming for you. So I definitely would say pick the ones, one or two or three that work yeah. the best for you. That's good advice. Kind of take a take a step by step approach. to it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask about Bombshell? Yes, please do. Yeah. So I was like, I feel like I knew about Blue and I had seen it, but I really thought it was male focused. And I was like there to appreciate all of that. And then when I was more searching, I'm like, wait a second. So like, (laughs) I want to know all about it. Yeah. I I don't know. I smile and get excited too when I talk about Bombshell, right? So Bombshell. So what happened, again, this measurement thing, right, of social media, we saw we had like a 45% engagement of females. And we're like, okay, like... Because we love black men. We, black women love black men. Love All women the, love black men, yes. right? That's just black Ooh, men do. are loved, right? Yes. So I'm like, okay, what can we do to you know harness this relationship with with black women? And it was a project for interns at first, and and I'm like, hey, you know, let's like do like some female content, like blah 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 blah. Um, there's a show on VH1, that what it was called, but Denise, Denise Vasi was on it. It's a really popular show. Um, Denise Vasi had replaced Stacey Dash. Mm. Latoya Luckett was on it also. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember the Stacey Dash part got me. It was a cute little show on VH1. Um, and as you guys look... Single ladies. Single ladies, yes. right? So dope show. And it's about around the same time we were starting Bombshell. And we have an opportunity to shoot Denise Vasi. And we shot it. It was amazing. I'm like, yo, these shits, photos are great. We should just, like, make a mock cover. So, we like, can say shits. Yeah. Oh, we say shits. Yeah. Okay. You can say li- literally <laughs> anything. Okay. This shit is say. dope. So, I'm like, <laughs> so from there, we made a cover out of it. We tested it, and people really, really liked it. So, we started doing digital covers. Um, in 2020, Bombshell will do an annual print issue, kind of like how Sports Illustrated does, like, an annual issue, mm-hmm. uh, swimsuit issue. I was going to be swimsuit, because Bombshell is a play on words. It's not about tits and ass. It's about brains, you know, intelligence, community, just, like, Dope women with crazy ambition. Like, mm-hmm. that's, like, our theme for it. Um, again, you're a bombshell because you're smart, not because you're half-naked. Right. You can be half-naked, too. Right. But also be smart while you're naked. Um, or be na- be smart about being naked. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, Bombshell is, like, our newest baby. Um, I have an amazing um, girl on my team that runs that. Her name is Ebony, um, who started as an intern. And oh, like awesome. now she's the head of content for Blue Life Media Group in general, and then she's editor in chief of Bombshell by Blue. Um, yeah, it's That's all great. organic. We we've done no promotion, so right. every follower, every engage, every engagement has been one. We watched it one by one grow, mm. like no market, no boost, no paid ads, no nothing. Yeah. We wanted it to be really real and organic. Because again, like black females are so like on trend right now. Um, everyone's sort of doing it. Yeah. But when those crash and burn because it's all gimmicky, we want to make sure we have our real true audience, mm-hmm. you know, there. there. That's yeah. dope. That's great. Um, and then, last question. Okay. Um, we like to leave off with uh, a nuts and bolts, like, how can I get started today? Like, if, if someone is listening to this right now and they have an idea, what's the first thing they need to get started a, a few a few first things. Um, <laughs> one, decide on the name. Decide on like what your name is. Come up with like a one or two sentence like mission or description of what what you are, what you want to what you want to create, because that'll guide you through the rest of your steps. Um, and you you can you can change that and edit it as you go, but like try to really drill down and like figure out who you are as a brand or what you're doing as a brand. Then you know, of course, you know, buy the website. Um, one thing I would say that I learned late that I wish I had learned earlier on because it's a bunch of other projects. Get an attorney. Because mm. mm. you need to protect your brand. Get yourself an attorney and like, you don't have to go to an expensive attorney. There's a lot of free resources. Just Google like free legal help for startups, right? In your local community. And then what about one practical thing for just like how exhausting it can be to create content? <laughs> like just like a personal like self-help care yeah it's exhausting right so like don't try to overdo it Mm. like it's all for me it's all about you know what works um for me if you can do 10 posts a day 
then do 10 posts a day. But if you really, if 10 posts are exhausting you mm-hmm. after the fifth one, then just do five. Do five and do right. five really good posts, right? And then do that and then maybe add one more and like, let's see how that feels. Doesn't feel good? Go back to the five because people are going to only acknowledge what you did good right. and they're going to call you out for your bad shit. Right. So I'd rather have five good than like five bad and five good. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's Ooh, good. that's good. This is good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Can I also leave off by noting that this you hat. that you have a hat that says daddy on I it. I do love that. Would, would you like to uh... <laughs> And it's just like the simplest text. Just daddy. Like, just daddy. Just and, uh, and I don't I don't have I don't have kids. I have three god kids. <laughs> three amazing god kids. Um like I'm a man of a certain age. So like I'm a daddy. Like call me Zaddy, really, and, but and, <laughs> well, and, and, and there we go. Dave, I came in and just blew up our day. I appreciate you. I have nothing to add to that. that. Thank you so much. Thank for you coming. guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. I- I love how Devon was talking about like you have to give them something, right? Like that's such a content creator mantra. Is yeah. like you you got to do something. I'm printing that out. I'm yeah. putting it on my wall. Yeah, yeah, I like that. You have to give them something. Something. Yeah. And you decide what that is. You decide what it is. But you have to give and them make something. It good. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for our, our last segment. LLC. Ooh, you like that? That was beautiful. <laughs> so my love yes. this week is the 1619 Project. What that? So, um... It's a project put together by the New York Times magazine um, acknowledging the uh, 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. So it's basically a um, collection of essays and reporting and even poetry um, that uh, is all by um, a team of all-star black writers. There's uh, work by Nicole Hannah-Jones, who I understand is uh, the driving force uh, behind the project. There's uh, stuff by Jamel Bowie and Wesley Morris, who's also um, a writer at the New York Times. Um, and, you know, they talk about, you know, all the things that we don't, that we take for granted about how slavery has um, affected our daily lives and things we don't even think about or realize to like how why like to why we don't have um universal health care and like how how the reason that we don't is because of um people not wanting to give health care to black folks mm-hmm. right um to um how you know sugar became so um which has become so saturated in our in our diets today is um uh, such a a brutal product of the slave trade, you know, mm-hmm. of, of the slave uh, system um, to even like why uh, cities uh, have traffic, like such bad traffic jams, right? Because of how segregated people, white people in power made cities like mm-hmm. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they don't want to um, institute a public, transit system or they never did because mm-hmm. they wanted to keep the city so segregated. So mm-hmm. I mean I, I haven't dug my teeth into it yet. I just like looked at the headlines of each of each story and I'm I'm just so excited about it and I'm 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 also inspired by it because for them to like take as much time and thought as they have. I mean if you go to the website which we'll include in the in the show notes, you can see just like the design of the project and every every aspect of the launch of this um, to me has just been something that, you know, from, from the, you know, the viewpoint of a reporter and someone who, you know, likes to, um, who, who is passionate about these things and likes to tell stories around these things. um, It was very inspiring and made me want to do better as well. Um, So we'll put the link to that. So that's my loved. Um, Can't wait to read it. And then my canceled is, I guess, <laughs> similar themes. Um, is that black home ownership is at a record low. So this is according to census data. The story says while Hispanic home ownership rate is on the rise, the black home ownership rate has fallen 8.6 percentage points since its peak in 2004, hitting its lowest level on record in the first quarter of this year. 
This divergence marks the first time in more than two decades that Hispanics and blacks, the two largest racial or ethnic minorities in the U.S., are no longer following the same path when it comes to owning homes. Hmm. Uh, so now we know that like home ownership is one of the main sources of uh, uh, financial well-being in this country. So like, what does it mean that like even again, as we just said with the 1619 project, even for the people who built this country as it is today mm. that, and were, uh, have been here for a very long time that we're not even able to afford homes yeah. in this country. Seemed like an important thing to highlight. A cancel for sure. Yeah. Um, so I have a learned and a cancel. So my learned is, um, this week I, and I, I knew this, and I, racism has a connection to everything, but I don't think I ever really thought about racism's and white supremacy's connection to uh, the statistics of black people and swimming. So I don't know how to swim. I keep saying that I'm going to take lessons and actually almost did it this summer and then just didn't um, at the Y around the corner from my house. But... Um, According to a recent study, 64% of black kids have no or low swimming ability versus 40% of their white counterparts. And um, black children age 5 to 19 were five and a half times more likely to drown in a swimming pool death than white kids of the same age. So it's like one of those things where bias has... A bias has affected an action and that action is literally killing us. Like our kids are dying at five and a half times more rate by drowning. Um, and so when I read this article that I will also post, and there's like a video to accompany it, it talks about how Africans, majority Africans that were brought here to be enslaved knew how to swim, but they weren't, they were not allowed to teach their children because swimming led to freedom. Mm. And so slave owners would often like, stop them from being able to do that. And so now we just have generations later where nobody knew right. how to swim and no one knew how to teach anyone. Yeah, I never thought about that either. Right? Um, and then when Jim Crow came and there was a segregation of pools, they made the black pool so undesirable that we're not taking our kids there to swim. And so um, for me, it's just like this through line of slavery. It's like I hear people talk about when are we going to stop using that as an excuse? And it's not an excuse. It's a reality. Mm-hmm. Like in this book, I'm reading so much these days. So I'm <laughs> just like these, this book that I'm reading also talks about how black American culture can be so rooted in African culture and that it's not a mistake that most of those things were, tr- were forcibly broken during slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was just my learn this week of like, the connection between that and how we are really fighting racism head on when we learn to swim or when we buy a house, right? Mm -hmm. It's like those little things that seem to our white counterparts like par for the course. We are really breaking a Mm -hmm. generational racism curse Mm -hmm. by doing those things. So it kind of just like pushed me back to like wanting to make sure that I continue to seek that out. When are you going to learn to swim? At this point, I'm like a little afraid of water. I'm, I don't enjoy it. Like when I go to the beach, it's like for the sun and that's it. I'll um, take you. I'm scared. But you have me there. I need like a like a real lesson. A real person? No, like a real lesson. <laughs> like it's not going to just be like, just flow. It's going to be like, yeah. here's like feel the water first. Uh-huh. It's going to be like teaching a child. Okay. Well, maybe not me. Right. <laughs> um, and then my canceled... Is just like, this is going to go on my Tumblr of white girls saying awful things. <laughs> so something came out today about the end of Hot Girl Summer and then the beginning of Christian Girl Autumn. And the face of Christian Girl Autumn was two white girls with like scarves on and pumpkin spice lattes and vests and striped shirts. Um, and... A white girl made the meme. It was just like, you know, I heard so much about Hot Girl Summer. I just, like, wanted to give the opposite. And it's like, what part of Christian girl and hot girl are opposite? Right. <laughs> like, let's get there first. Because we're Christian, too. Right. You can be hot and Christian. Exactly. And number two, 
Do you have anything that you've uh, that you did? <laughs> it's like take what. Where did you start? Take, what, what's, right. what's trending that you? And started? take something yeah. Taylor Swift did and make it your own. Like we don't want that. But it's just like Megan the Stallion had the summer, one summer with Hot Girl Summer. It was so big, and it's just like you guys literally cannot even wait for the first leaf to fall. <laughs> No, our turn. turn. Yeah, our turn. Me, me, me. Us, us, us. Come back to us. Come back to us because we didn't feel like we could be a part of that. And it just made me, I think I sent it to you earlier. It just made me so mad. You were very upset. Like, just (laughs) go in a hole. Like, I'm so (laughs) tired of them having to be the face of anything. And But it's what they were taught. So death to Christian girl. Death to Christian Christian girl autumn. And I'm a Christian girl and I love fall. But I'm also a hot girl, and I love summer, right? right? It's just like you don't you don't get to be the face of everything. I refuse. Noted. it. <laughs> <laughs> I can do anything. Yeah. yeah. Hell no. Nah. Hell no. Nah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's it. Um, check the so- show notes. We're gonna put so much stuff in it. Show notes are basically like our new newsletter. Like we should start a newsletter. We. Yeah, we will. But in the meantime, check the show notes because they have so much stuff. Um, our Patreon link is still there. We still need the monies <laughs> for production. Yeah, you guys are blessing us. Yes, because, thank you so much. Like it was all coming out of our little baller, pockets. But uh, but I am I'm still a freelancer, <laughs> and so it means so much that it does to, to like produce the last episode and this one and. And the next one. Yeah. And not have to come out of pocket for that. Like for a weekly podcast. It means so much. And we really appreciate it. And shout out to our editor. Yeah. Right? We almost got got rid of him. (laughs) Wait, don't say that on the podcast. He's been doing great. I don't even think. Does he really listen to every second of it? Um, So shout out to him. I feel like we literally couldn't do it. He's very talented. He is. He is. And we appreciate him. So much. He's also very black. Yeah. He's he's He's, in the motherland. Yeah, he is black. (laughs) We think we're black. Um, All right, let's go. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Bye.